Ever wondered who and what is shaping Luxembourg? This is your Lux Unplugged podcast with your hosts, Adrian and Thierry. Hi, I'm Adrian. Hi, and I'm Thierry. This time we are welcoming His Excellency John Marshall, UK Ambassador to Luxembourg. We thought having the ambassador on the podcast would be very informative at times during which the relationship between the UK and Luxembourg slash EU is being completely reshaped, now with Brexit on the horizon. This episode was recorded on the 20th of September 2019, just a few days after the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson paid his first official visit to Luxembourg. So the timing couldn't be more perfect to meet with the ambassador. I definitely agree, Thierry. The UK and Luxembourg have had a very rich common history and well-established links in the business world, and this especially in the financial services sector. Indeed, John Marshall was appointed as UK ambassador to Luxembourg a few months before the UK voted to leave the EU. We were very keen to hear his views on all the various developments that have happened in the last three years. I'm definitely sure there's a lot to talk about. But now, without further ado, I'll enter with His Excellency John Marshall. Thank you, Mr. Ambassador, for joining us today. Could you go in a little bit in your background, what you study and how over the years got to this point where you're now in Luxembourg? Yeah, sure. I was brought up in a small village um, near Oxford and I basically lived in this wonderful old house, 16th century house for the first 18 years of my life. And it's actually quite sort of relevant, I think, to what happened next in that my interest in sort of following the the career that I chose was largely inspired by having an uncle who worked in the United Nations system. And he lived and worked with his family in places like uh, Rwanda and Tanzania and, and later Iran. And when he came back to the UK, he would always call on us and he would, you know, bring presents and I'd get regular postcards from my aunt. And this really kind of made me interested in the world outside the UK. And particularly, actually, in, for reasons I now forget, African politics, it might be, because I had a a friend at school who, who came from Kenya. And I suppose at the time, I didn't really appreciate all the different careers with which you could actually work overseas. I knew you could as a diplomat, and that sounded interesting. So that's what I decided I wanted to do at quite a young age, age 16 or so. So I went to university, I studied modern languages there. In our system, it actually doesn't really matter what you study, you can join the Foreign Office, our Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So yeah, so that's, um, that's why I decided to apply. And fortunately, I got in and I've had a very interesting career since then. What are the countries that you've been traveling to so far? So I joined the Foreign Office uh, straight from university, which is kind of what you did in those days. Now we actually take people, uh, I think we actually prefer to take people who've been out and had some sort of different different types of experience in the private sector or civil society or whatever, but in my day, uh, straight from university. So I've actually been in the Foreign Office for 31 years. Um, so after a couple of years in London, I was posted to Japan. I did four years back in London, I then went to Malaysia, I then came back to London uh, for another four years, and then since 2007 I have been successively in uh, Ethiopia, 
Senegal, which was my first position as ambassador, and then since 2016 here. So looking back at your career, can you sort of describe seminal moments that you've, you've been through? What, what's, what's been the most marking episodes that you've had as a, as a diplomat? Well, I mean, the thing about life as a diplomat is it's an immensely varied career, varied in the places that you're, you're working, as I've explained, but also very varied in the sort of type of work that you're, that you're doing. So when I look back on my career, I mean, there are things that, like, you know, I've got a terrible memory. So there's loads of things I've done that I've kind of forgotten all about. Uh, but there are other things I will, I will never uh, forget. So, you know, just to take maybe one example from each posting. In Japan, I had an immensely uh, varied job. But probably the standout moment was uh, organizing a visit by the uh, Princess of Wales uh, to Japan. This was in 1995, um, the first sort of official visit she'd made overseas since, since her divorce. And the Japanese just sort of loved her. And they were out in the streets in thousands and thousands for every event that, that we went to. And it really sort of showed the connections between the countries through in part the connections between the, uh, the royal and the imperial family. And that was an overwhelming moment in, terms of, in, in the sense of seeing how ordinary people can have a passion for you know, the relationship their country has with, with another country. In Malaysia, I spent quite a lot of my time working on, on human rights, particularly you know, issues around the independence of the judiciary. But probably what I remember most was a, a project that we did to try and improve the experience of victims of child sex abuse in the criminal justice system to make sure that they weren't sort of victimized for a, for a second time. And then in um, my two postings in Africa, I spent quite a lot of time working on sort of conflict and political governance issues. I was very much involved in um, the uh, efforts of the international community to support Somaliland in, in its elections at a, at a pretty delicate time. And uh, Senegal, I was also there for um, a slightly tense period, which ultimately led to a peaceful uh, transition of power, which isn't something that happens all the time uh, in countries in Africa. And also hugely enjoyed supporting British business in Senegal, particularly as it developed its oil and gas sector and also supporting British business in, in agriculture in Senegal, for example. And then, of course, here in Luxembourg, um, it's been my three and a half years so far have been dominated by Brexit. I mean, obviously, the culture in the UK and Luxembourg is very similar. Was there one particular thing about cultures that you really enjoyed, example, in Japan or, or in, in Senegal? Was, was there some a key moment where you thought, I'm really happy that I've actually seen this? Yeah, I mean, loads and loads. But for me, one of the most important things, if possible, is to, um, to be able to learn the language. Mm -hmm. And this is brought home to me, I think, most clearly in Japan, where I did learn to speak Japanese. In fact, I was trained for two years to speak Japanese. It's so impressive. Largely forgotten it, I'm afraid. Um, but at the time, it was, it was good enough to uh, do most of my job. Um, but you know, Japan was a wonderful place to travel around. But at the time, and this is the early 90s, there wasn't a lot of English language to be seen, and very few people spoke um, spoke English. 
Uh, and so I still have this, these mental images of walking into these you know, traditional little restaurants in, in Japan. You walk through the door um, and the owner sees you come in and there's a look of horror on their face because they are, uh, you know, they don't speak English and they're, they're worried about, about how the next few minutes are going to unfold <laughs> and the fact that they won't be able to sort of welcome you in the way that they would wish to because you won't be able to communicate. And then when they realize that you speak Japanese, they are so relieved and so relaxed. They then sort of shower attention on you. They're sort of bringing you all these delicacies to try. And it, you get to see a different part of, of Japan than someone who just goes on you know, a two-week a two-week holiday yeah. um, without speaking the language. So, I mean, that's been the real privilege of my career. I think is having the time to spend in a country where, so you can really get to understand it on a sort of granular level. So you're not just visiting the main sites that you would do if you only have a week or two weeks. Obviously, you do that as well, but then you're going to places that other people would never dream of of, of going to. Uh, but you go to because you just have the the time because you're living there you just want to do something different to the at the weekends then obviously the job also takes you to all the different corners of a country it's definitely a varied career that you've had so far now brexit is as we all know is something that um is is very overwhelming europe now but we in relation to uk and luxembourg do you see brexit as an opportunity to strengthen ties given that this podcast is about our country I do, yes. I mean, I think, I mean, Brexit's an immensely divisive issue and a very emotional issue. And one one thing I know how to do as a diplomat is to kind of see everyone else's opinion on on these things. And I think, you know, there are people who who are struggling to sort of come to terms with, you know, the reality, which is that a decision has been taken and the government is is implementing it. And there are a lot of people for whom this will always be a sort of a negative thing. I mean, the, the discourse is around lose-lose uh, and um, they struggle to see the positives. And then there are others who, who, even if perhaps, you know, they never liked the idea of Brexit, and I'm not just talking about UK nationals, people who, who, who might have voted, but also Luxembourgers and other Europeans, even if they don't like the idea of Brexit, they have come to terms with the fact that it's going to happen, and therefore they are focused on looking for the positives in it and ensuring that you know the future is a is a strong and productive one. And I am fundamentally very optimistic about the relationship between the UK and the EU and between the UK and Luxembourg. And essentially, the reason for my optimism is that, you know, I believe that the values that we have in common are so strong and the geography helps, we're so close, that we are always going to be part of um, a partnership, an alliance to promote and protect the values that are important to us, to ensure the security of, of our continents, uh, to trade together but we're just going to need to do that in a slightly different way not everything will change we'll still be working with our eu 
friends and allies in the context of the UN, in the context of NATO, but obviously we won't be there in the council meetings, in the working group meetings, and that means that we will need to engage with the member states in a different way. And perhaps that provides opportunities for actually sort of strengthening bilateral engagement. And the bilateral relations are very good between the UK and Luxembourg, not just at the government level, but what particularly pleases me is how strong the relationships are, for example, between private sectors, you know, most notably in the area of finance, but also the relations between people, individuals, in the sense that you, know, you get so many Luxembourgers who study in the UK. We hope that will continue. Luxembourg, I mean, London is, and the UK is so close. We have so many flights that Luxembourgers are constantly going over to London for the weekend and mm -hmm. What pleases me even more is not just staying in London, but going further afield. Uh, I have never come across so many people in any other country, for example, who have explored Cornwall. I mean, Luxembourgers always talk to me about Cornwall and always make me feel guilty because I think I've only been a couple of times. <laughs> clearly, they are, clearly, they are sort of regular, regular visitors. And the British community here is sort of sizable in, uh, in a Luxembourg context and I think, you know, contributes a, a really positive or makes a really positive contribution to life in life in Luxembourg. So there's that real strong base of private sector community relations over which there's a sort of the government links as well. And I hope what we will see is more sort of activity which is taking place in a bilateral context between the UK and Luxembourg. For Luxembourg, the EU is a cornerstone of, I would say, the, the success that they've gone through. The financial sector has benefited a lot from London's contribution and, and support. So do you think, for instance, uh, and it's, it's a more specific question, that London's financial sector and Luxembourg can strengthen themselves after Brexit? I certainly hope so. I mean, obviously, there are some unknowns here. I mean, all all the focus at the moment is on, you know, negotiating the, the terms of our exit through the withdrawal agreement. Uh, in my view, we spent far too much time doing that. Uh, it'll be great when we've left and we can start focusing on a more constructive agenda, which is the future relationship in all its different aspects, whether it's the future economic relationship, future security relationship, how we're going to cooperate. Uh, in areas of sort of science, and research, and education. But a key part of that sort of future economic relationship, obviously, is the extent to which, you know, we have access to each other's uh, services, markets, including in financial services. So, you know, those are uh, discussions to come. Uh, but obviously, we hope the relationship between t the two financial sectors can, um, can remain uh, very, very close indeed, because it has been you know, in our collective interest, in our common interest, that, um, that it's been so. Going back to Luxembourg as uh, the initiatives that you've taken uh, recently, you've highly promoted the hashtag Lux UK Links mm. series. What is this initiative about? What, what are you trying to achieve with, uh, with this project? So earlier I mentioned that whenever I've gone somewhere, I have tried to sort of immerse myself in, in the country. And obviously part of that is, you know, understanding the history of the country and within the history, our sort of shared history. So, and not just the history, of course, but the sort of, you know, the, the relationship in the present as well. 
So, um, you know, when I knew that I was coming here, I started to sort of read up and, you know, learn more about Luxembourg and understand, you know, some of the links between uh, our two countries. And, you know, after my arrival, I continued to do that. And then the idea came to me, why don't I sort of tweet some of these links with the uh, hashtag LuxUKLinks for the benefit of, of others? And, you know, I started doing that. And obviously some of the links were things that everyone knows, <laughs> but uh, some were quite obscure, uh, things that people probably had never heard about. So it started off as being a, a social media project, tweeting, you know, at one point I was doing two a week, I think, and then went down to, to one a week. And it got a good reaction. Uh, and then I thought, well, you know, not everyone is on social media, particularly not on Twitter, which is what I use yeah. as opposed to Facebook. So I thought, well, let's make it more accessible. And we turned it into an exhibition, sort of traveling exhibition, just on pull-up banners, 23 of those. Uh, and for a year, that exhibition went on tour. I mean, at times I would show it here when I had big events. People could go into one of our sort of exhibition rooms and see it. But it was also shown in uh, several communes uh, around um, Luxembourg, particularly those communes that um, had links with the UK and which might have been included in the, in the exhibition. And uh, it was shown in schools. Uh, it was shown in uh, a couple of museums here in Luxembourg. And then towards the end of this year, it sort of went on tour internationally and was shown at the uh, University of Sheffield, which has this Centre for Luxembourgish Studies mm -hmm. at the Luxembourg Embassy in London and also at the, at the Foreign Office in London. And then as that kind of year was coming to an end, we decided to do a book of the exhibition but include some additional links. So we launched that in May last year, I think it was. And then more recently, I've been doing a sort of column around Lux UK links on, on, on RTL. There are going to be some videos later and I'm thinking now about maybe a, a second book but rather than the first book was like a sort of catalogue of uh, the exhibition uh, and this book will be a, in a more sort of substantial form I'm nearly at 150 that I've tweeted out so um, sort of twice the number that were in the first in the first book what is the most memorable I mean like top three memorable links that you've found out so far there really is something for everyone in this. So there's lots of history. There's kind of uh, modern stuff. There are quirky things about, you know, references to Luxembourg in Harry Potter, for example. One of my favourite links, and it actually explains the picture that we use for the cover of the book, is the fact that these very iconic old bridges in Luxembourg, I mean, the one outside uh, the window, uh, currently under a chantier. The Albrecht, the, the passerelle, um, that, and then the two railway viaducts at um, Clausen and Pulvermüller, and they were built by uh, an English company okay. uh, called Waring Brothers in the sort of very late 1850s, early 1860s. Uh, that's one I particularly like. Another one I like a lot because it's about my profession is the fact that the UK was the very first country to seek accreditation specifically to Luxembourg. So back in the sort of, you know, the 19th century, ambassadors, most of whom were then obviously based in The Hague, they would, they would present their credentials to the King of the Netherlands in a sort of combined capacity of, you know, the King of the Netherlands and 
Grand Duke of Luxembourg, I, I suppose. So one of my pre predecessors in the 18, uh, 1870s presented his credentials to the King of the Netherlands, and then a year or two later asked if he could go back and present them again, spe specifically in his capacity as Grand Duke of, of Luxembourg. So this request was relayed back to the authorities here who sort of thought, hmm, that's a bit strange. And then they decided that actually quite liked the idea. And so um, that colleague of mine became the very first ambassador who was specifically accredited to, uh, uh, to Luxembourg. And a third, which um, I mention sometimes, is that um, the very first international air services between Luxembourg and another country were to the UK not from Findal to London Heathrow or uh, City Airport, as they are now, and other airports too, yeah. but from Esch to Alzette, mm. uh, an airport that has disappeared, I think it's under a school, to uh, London Croydon, which is also no longer a functioning airport, airport though yeah. uh, I believe that the sort of uh, the terminal building from the 1930s has been preserved there, so I might try and visit that at some point. Now that you've been here for, for a couple of years now, what is your favorite thing about uh, Luxembourg then? I think the, the thing I enjoy doing most is, um, is exploring the country outside Luxembourg City. I mean, that's not to say that I enjoy my time in Luxembourg City, but that's where I spend most of my, most of my time. And I run and I walk and I've enjoyed basically running and walking through every corner of, of Luxembourg. When I first came, I did decide that I would try and run around the borders of Luxembourg, which I did, and when I finished doing that, I realized I had run through about half of Luxembourg's communes, so I decided to run through the rest. So wherever I stopped, that's where I started, and it was a sort of continuing line of 750 kilometers throughout the country, which I did in sort of runs of between 20 and 30 kilometers each time. But a sort of different answer is, you know, partly in a sort of professional context, is I just enjoy the, the fact that the smallness of the society, in a way, means that you can have very good relationships with, you know, the people who, who you need to deal with. You bump into them in the, uh, in the street, you know, ministers you see about all the time, politicians you... You know, you're just walking past a, a cafe and, uh, uh, and they're there. Yesterday, a couple of embassy teams ran in the, uh, the Vaux, uh, a business run. We, at the end, we were just together, and then next to us there was a team of, of MPs from the, from the CSFAO. It's easier to build those connections because it's just a sort of smaller, more accessible environment in which you're working. I find that quite, quite fun. I will never forget when I called on... Um, Xavier Bettel soon after my arrival my sort of introductory call on, on Xavier Bettel just down the road in, in Rue de Congregation I came out of my call on Xavier Bettel and there walking up the street all by himself was Jacques Santa. It's the sort of coincidence that happens in, in Luxembourg because of its size that you know wouldn't happen in Paris or London or, or Berlin and I think that's a very endearing feature of the place. Our, our listenerships that we want to the reach are obviously from English-speaking to French-speaking, uh, people who've been here for many years, but also Luxembourgish uh, citizens in the UK. Uh, do you have a specific message for them about the relationship between Luxembourg and the UK? 
there's lots of reasons to um, to be positive uh, about about the future. You know, as of now, we don't know whether we're going to be leaving with a deal or or without a deal. But whatever the scenario is, um, you know, we have provided the guarantees to um, EU nationals, including Luxembourgers, so they can continue to sort of live and, and work and access healthcare and, and education and, and benefits in the way they do now. So there'll be very few ways in which their life will will change. And I'm in regular contact with um, Luxembourg Embassy in in in, in London, and uh, I often ask the question, "Well, how, how's the community feeling at the moment?" And, and the Luxembourg community, I mean, it's sort of two aspects of it. You have a resident population, which is only about, I think, 800 or so. And then you have, uh, in addition to that, about 1,200 students who, who are there. And my sense is that, uh, you know, it's it's a well-established, the resident population is, is, is well-established. And, you know, they're taking Brexit in their, in their stride. And, um, you know, I think the, the relationship between the two countries is going to be, is going to remain uh, very, very strong indeed. And as I was saying earlier, the respective communities, including the Luxembourg community in the UK and the British community here, are going to be key to the future closeness and success of our relationship. Well, Mr. Ambassador, thank you so much for your time. Great to talk to you today. Uh, we definitely look forward to having you back on Luxembourg Podcast for follow episodes. Look forward to it. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Luxembourg Podcast. Please share this podcast with friends and family and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, please don't forget to visit our website, luxunplug.com. And see you next time.